Brian, what's up, man? What's up, Patrick? (laughs) You know, just chilling. This week we are speaking with your former chiropractor. That's correct. Yes, Dr. Corey Wilson. Um, He's currently now living in Oahu on the in, in Hawaii. And this week's this week's conversation was was a lot of fun. Really, a gentle and kind human being. Um, we talked a little bit about um, self confidence. We talked a little bit about his his journey into the chiropractic field. Um, we talked about some common occurrences or common sort of um, um, discomforts that people are, people are experiencing in the world today. So, talked a little bit about fear. Yeah, I, th- I thought the most important thing was the fat, the clarity in which he is such a patient centered chiropractor. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say as you're listening to this podcast, really tune in to how patient centered he is and how much desire he has to help his patients and seek out people in the medical field who want that for you. That, that will be finding someone like Corey who cares about your health uh, is will dramatically impact and change your life. And if you have that opportunity to find someone like that, you have hit the lotto. Take advantage of that. Yeah, that's 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 a beautiful way to to explain just Dr. Corey Wilson in a nutshell. And he, he's it's it's more of when you I would I would recommend too just to piggyback what Patrick said. If you're looking for a, for a specific kind of care, if you have a specific kind of ailment always be willing to sort of think outside the box as well, because that specific ailment or, or discomfort may not be stemming from that initial um, diagnosis or that initial sort of um, sort of feeling you have. So always be open-minded. I think that was a good lesson we learned too today. Heck yeah, man. So without further ado, let's get you guys to becoming legendary. Maximize every opportunity so that you can become you legend can become legendary. What adjustments can you make right now to make yourself one Your percent better? Your only goal is to be the best version of you. Corey, welcome to Becoming Legendary. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man, we're super, super excited to get to chat with you. Can you do everyone the favor of just giving a quick little intro into your world, who you are, and then we'll, we'll jump right into some questions. Uh, yeah, I'm, my name is Corey Wilson. I, uh, I'm a chiropractor. I currently work at a company called Turning Point Chiropractic in um, Oahu, uh, Hawaii, um, I've uh, been a chiropractor since 2017, and I've been working uh, working in that field since about 2009. Um, so it's been a, it's been a great great time so far. Hopefully, a great time in the future too. Oh yeah, <laughs> what, uh, getting better what as attra- the years go on. Good. What attracted you to the chiropractic world? Um, when I, when I got out of high school, I was actually, um, apprenticing to be an electrician. This is back in 2007. Um, and then I, um, I was studying under a guy in a company in uh, Mesa, Arizona for a little while. And then the whole downturn in the economy happened and they laid a bunch of us off. 
And at the time I was, at the time I was hurting pretty bad. We were building, uh, doing a couple of different jobs for um, Arizona State University out there and building a couple different, um, I guess, renovations to their campuses. Um, and I hurt myself building one of their new practice fields. And I'd been out of commission for a couple of weeks. Uh, and my wife used to nanny for a chiropractor when she was a teenager and sent me over, basically told me I had to go, you know, had to go see this chiropractor because at this point they didn't quite know what was going on. And I saw him for about, oh gosh, I think it was like two weeks or something like that. And I was able to get back on my feet. And um, so I was at the, at the time, the only work I could really find was mainly in retail. And he offered me a job as one of his assistants. And that was in uh, the summer of 2009. And uh, I studied under him for about four years before I went to chiropractic college. And that's, uh, that's how I got, uh, got my foot in the, in the door for this profession. Yeah. Awesome. What is so, the sty- style of, sorry, Brian, I'll, I'll, no, I'll just succeed to you. Um, <laughs> yeah. Take it away. No, no, no. You, you go first. Go first. Okay. What is the style of chiropractic um, care that you've, you've come from? I know there are some yeah. very traditional um, approaches and then there are some newer approaches as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've, I've worked with a bunch of different docs, both before I went to school and then through school and then uh, afterwards. Um, and I've worked with a couple of more like uh, your oldest old, like old school kind of guys. And then the, the clinic that I used to work at in Arizona was more of an integrated clinic where they did like physical therapy and pain management and worked with different providers and that kind of stuff. Um, I'm, I'm one of those people that I, I don't know. I, I like to kind of center the, the care that needs to be delivered is kind of whatever the patient needs. Hmm. So it's more of a patient centered type of thing. So I, I know I'm, I'm good at, um, well, I'm I'm, ma- I'm mainly good at some of the kind of old school chiropractic stuff. So I I worked to studying. Um, there's a technique they call diversified, which is basically um, it's kind of the the most popular and, and widest variety uh, technique that they teach us in school. And then there's a couple other techniques that I studied in through there. Um, a few of like lower force techniques, things that they call one of them they call a drop table, where they use a few different types of tables to uh, adjust people, um, did some studying with, uh, uh other fancy equipment like, uh, flexion distraction tables or like, uh, uh, that's more like spinal traction or spinal decompression type of thing. And then there's a couple of docs I worked for that were kind of the older school. Uh, they practiced a method called Gonstead, which is a, he's an old chiropractor from Wisconsin from 70 years ago, uh, who came up with his own kind of technique and so i i'm one of those people that kind of combine whatever whatever i've learned and whatever i've picked up to whatever the patient needs Mm -hmm, and if the patient needs something that i'm not any good at then i i send them over to uh another another chiropractor Mm -hmm. that can better help them yeah 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 that's that's rad i I think um I think, Corey, you're doing yourself a little bit of, of an injustice here. The only reason I'm going to, I'm not going to throw you <laughs> under, under the bus here completely, but I'm just going to give a little backstory for the audience. So I've worked with Corey specifically for a couple of years now until he took his bags and moved to Hawaii, which I don't blame him for. Um, but 
But what I'm trying to say is I went in with, with like extreme in, inflammation and, and, and pains and pain in my hands and also, also my shoulders and the rest of the, the rest of my other joints. Anyways, he led me down the path, um, to finding out really the source of, of, of some of my, some of my struggles at the time. And that, and that was being clinically diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, as I've expressed many times before in the past on this, on this podcast. But, um, but really, really, really what I'm trying to get to Corey is, is that you, you, you work with your hands so well, you're able to, to diagnose things that aren't necessarily on paper or the patient patient has put into paper. Um, I remember the first times you, you, you placed your hands on my shoulders and there was like this, there was like this pain that, that you were, you were behind me and you put your hands on my shoulders and then behind me, the pain went down my body in my back. And it was just, but it, also at the same time, it was like a super comforting feeling. Um, so, so this is a long way of getting to this question, but you, 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 you work with your hands so, so well, um, where, where does that, and you, and you, you come across the way that you, you deliver yourself is with, with such supreme confidence. Um, and that was one of the things that I really resonated with you as your patient is how confident you are in all of these tools and techniques that you've, you've sort of mastered. So how, what is the source of your, of your self-confidence when dealing with so many different people, um, when you get them on the adjustment table? Um, I, I, I have quite a few different resources that I'll, I'll use, um, but I guess most most of my confidence and most of my uh, abilities come from uh, like trial and error and mm. and learning and making mistakes and that kind of stuff. When I was in chiropractic school, they had a they had a certain amount of like clinical hours you had to do, and you know so many patient encounters, so many adjustments, so many exams, that kind of stuff. And I was always one of those students that I I would like. I go well past that number that they required of us. And I would, you know, visit multiple different like offices outside of school. And I was just one of those people that like, you know, I know what this doctor's good at. I know what they can teach me, but I, you know, I've never met this doctor over here. That's been in practice for 40 years and they obviously have to be doing something right. Cause they wouldn't still be around if they weren't. So I, I was, uh, most of my, most of it comes from just, trying to find as many different avenues to learn from as possible when I was in school. And then realizing one of my uh, favorite professors in school uh, basically told me like, Hey, you, you got to know what you're good at and you got to know what you're, you're not good at. Right. And there's those chiropractors that will, uh, or I guess doctors in general that will hold on to patients that they're, you know, maybe they're, maybe they're confident that they can help them or maybe they're, kind of second guessing that or maybe they have no idea if they're in the right place or not or if they're the right practitioner to help them with but the the sooner you can figure out you know where the patient belongs like if you can help them with you know 10 or 15 percent of their issue and you know the the real solution to what they have going on lies somewhere else then you got to get that patient somewhere else to get help and I think that's the kind of the realm you landed into which was you know, you, you definitely benefited from the help that uh, I could give you, but it wasn't, uh, it was a little, it was a little bit of a combination of different things mm. and uh, more of, more of a journey type of thing to figure out where, where those underlying causes were coming from. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. So what, so what are you bad at? Um, <laughs> oh gosh. Uh, I'm, 
I'm not really great at communicating very many things. Um, like there's um, like patient encounters and that kind of stuff. I think I've done so many of those throughout the years that like I, I'm much better with uh, talking, like getting into a clinic and talking with a complete stranger that I've never met. Hmm. If you take me into like a social environment and put me in like a party or something like that with people I might've met a couple of times, but don't mm -hmm. know very well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm real terrible at communicating and socializing in, in that type of environment. <laughs> us, us three would be terrible at a party. Don't bring us there. <laughs> I'm in the same boat yeah. as you, but same with Patrick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Didn't mean to throw you under the bus too, Patrick. <laughs> no, that's true. I am. If I am in a room with people, I am trying to find the corner where I can hide. So I, I fully understand that experience. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> let me, let me ask this then, because I think this is both kind of patient experience-esque and really beneficial for the populace. Um, is there anything that you think that could be a simple addition or a simple, a simple help to people's experience to kind of combat the thoracic, thoracic flexion um, bias that we seem to have as a, as a human creature in 2022. Is there anything that you like constantly cue or coach, uh, offer to patients to work on that flexion bias? Um, yeah. So I think the, the biggest culprit is, um, is basically just using technology in general. So sure. cell phone computers, that kind of stuff. Um, I encourage people that if they're going to like sit down and watch something to like watch it on their TV. Cause that's typically in a better ergonomic position than mm. than, you know, lying on the couch and watching <laughs> something on their phone. Um, but I also encourage people to like use these devices to our advantage. I know that um, like a, a lot of these devices will like uh, they'll give us a little message. that tells us to like stand up and stretch or breathe or whatever. And a lot of people turn that stuff off like right away because they don't want their technology <laughs> telling them what to do. Uh, but I encourage people to like set up some kind of reminder every, you know, hour, like to like every 60 to 90 minutes or so. Cause if we're, if we're stationary for much longer than that, it's just not going to be, a, not going to be good. Um, the other thing with our kind of stationary and everything being in such a, a poor ergonomic position is like, if you think back to our parents and grandparents and like previous generations, they had a lot of hard work to do and there was a huge flexion bias in there, but they, they kind of kept moving and there was very little in the way of comfort back in those days. So, you know, they didn't have the, the $3,000 office chair that they could sit in eight hours a day and be comfortable. And I tell people that don't buy the $3,000 office chair, just sit in a, like sit on a regular wooden stool. And when your behind starts to hurt, get up yeah right so uh, I, I encourage people to move as, as often as possible um and uh and try to discourage like discourage certain modern conveniences like comfortable chairs and um you know basically try to get people to move a little bit more like that that makes a lot of sense <laughs> I, I like yeah. i like that a lot yeah. i like that yeah. a lot i will say as someone who doesn't have a single comfortable chair in the house when you have guests over they're not super thrilled 
but uh <laughs> but i can but i do i do i do like that um the other thing i was thinking about when you when you started was the positioning tvs right like there's mm-hmm. There are a lot of entertainment systems. If you're going to have a TV in your house, there's a lot of entertainment systems that have the TV sitting like 24 inches off the ground. And that's going to put the cervical spine in, in a constant state of flexion if you're watching. So um, that's a pretty that's a pretty interesting thing for people to keep in mind too, is just where you align the TV. TVs are light enough these days, at least I assume they are, um, that you could pretty easily position it on a wall wherever you want to. So eye height sounds like a good spot. Yeah. Yeah, when your uh, guests come over, just uh, throw some cushions on the ground and you can test how flexible they are. You can sit on those. <laughs> that is all we have. We just have meditation cushions. That is the seating <laughs> option for here. <laughs> so true. <laughs> I didn't know it was by design, though, man. Now I'm learning something new from you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you think to like a lot of cultures, even in 2022, don't have the same kind of mobility issues that we do here in the modern western uh, society because they don't have the same kind of comfort and conveniences that we do yeah. you know they don't have super cushy comfortable couches like we'll sit on dirt floors or on meditation cushions or you know whatever they can kind of come up with um, and they keep a lot more mobility through their like later years in life because of stuff like that yeah the, the, the remarkable um just like a bottom squat position right is a natural default position for humans um most people don't have the capacity to get into the bottom of a squat anymore. So uh, not only we take in like a position that is generally thought of as restorative and also really resetting and um, beneficial for lumbar neutrality, but we've taken that to a point where we can't even get into the shape that would offer a place to be restorative, which is pretty interesting as a organism. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I mean, it's so if you travel the world, right, and you're in, if you're in third world countries, you'll oftentimes see people resting um, in a bottom squat position. And Brian and I um, both teach yoga. And Corey, I'm sure you can, I'm sure you can experience this in in a lot of places. I would say, shoot, no more than 30% of the population can get into a bottom squat for 10 minutes, probably way less for 10 minutes. Way less. Uh, Maybe, maybe, maybe 5% of the population for 10 minutes. Yeah, I was, I was going to say in my, my patient base, um, out here, it's probably a little bit higher, but back, uh, back on the mainland in Arizona, it was probably single digits of people who could actually get like all the way down. Wow. What do you attribute the shift in population base from Hawaii to Arizona? Um, Hawaii, well, they, they have a little, little bit of a different, um, I guess, philosophy out through here. Things run a little bit slower. Um, you know, they still have, like, you still have your Western conveniences and stuff like that out here that are, you know, no good for anybody, but most like, you know, more, more people ride bikes, more people are walking places. Um, uh, like I think probably half of my patient population, like goes out and surfs on a weekly basis type of thing. Like they're just more, like they're more active and they're more kind of connected with their environment around them. Yeah. I think they're, they're less, uh, they're less involved in like the Western rat race. Um, than like when I lived in LA or when I lived in Phoenix, people were like, they're just like, Hey, get me out of this pain so I can get back to working 90 hours a week. And it's just like, <laughs> all right, well, you're going to be back in pain like very, very shortly, very, very shortly. after yeah. that. You know? What are, <laughs> what, what, 
Yeah, see you in three weeks. What 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 is what are some of the other besides the flexion of the of the upper thoracic? What are, what are some of the other commonalities that you see um, in terms of we're, we're talking about limited limited sorts of movements or 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 or, or, or um, being I hate to say it, being in that frozen type of type of um, type of look. Um, mm-hmm. What what other sort of sort of um, trends do you see that that maybe have shifted since you began your chiropractic or 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 that just sort of stand out to you? Um, I think some of these trends have been going on for a little bit longer. I mean, I've only been a chiropractor for gosh, five going on six years. So there's, you know, the, these trends have been going on for far longer than I've been in, in here. I think, um, uh, especially through the pandemic, there was a lot of, like a lot of people working from home, a lot of mobility issues and people just being kind of more sedentary. Like if they were, if they were used to, you know, getting up and getting ready and commuting to work and walking to the office and like they'd maybe get, you know, 5,000 steps in a day, just kind of naturally going to and from their job when they started working from home, especially if they never left their house, they would get like not even a thousand steps a day type of thing. So mm-hmm. that was one of those things that was really difficult at the beginning and, you know, letting people know that they needed to like actually go out and walk around the neighborhood and do that kind of stuff. But I think the biggest thing that I've noticed that it wasn't something that was like super obvious to me, um, like not something that they really, or um, uh, they didn't emphasize in school very well, or Mm. maybe I didn't really think of before this is uh, a lot of people have very, like very strong low back and hip muscles um, and very like weak feet and hand muscles. Interesting. You know, and obviously it's like different for different populations type of thing. If you have somebody who's working with their hands a lot more, they're going to have stronger hands. But most of your like typical uh, office workers and people that have your kind of typical Western jobs have like extremely weak feet. And um, that leads to a lot of like compensation within the lower back and a lot of lower back and hip tightness. And that's what they typically show up uh, in my office with. And they're complaining more about like low back and hip issues. And when we test things like their foot strength and like balance and stability and things like that, they have like, it, it's either they lost it or they never developed it when they were growing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then same thing for like neck and shoulder issues. A lot of people that they just didn't really develop very, very strong hand muscles or all they do is type on a computer all day. So they only use a, they only use one set of, or, you know, a few specific muscles instead of um instead of being more well-rounded basically yeah so that's something i didn't really think i had to like on a daily basis i'm coaching somebody on hand and foot exercises and i didn't really think i'd have to be doing that as a chiropractor as much (laughs) that's interesting um, you've, you've got a strong shoe game and, and, and we, we always, we, we always like to talk about shoes. And, and the reason why I'm bringing this up is because of the Vivo barefoots, which you oftentimes wear. Right. So, um, yeah. and then Patrick and I, we, we like to we like the zero brand. We're just throwing some brands out there for you to consider. <laughs> <laughs> there, there are no sponsorships involved with this, with this <laughs> last few sentences. Um, though, but, but in all, in all seriousness, would that be something you would guide someone towards? I mean, if they're having foot, foot, foot mobility issues would be to find sort of a, an all, more all encompassing Focusing, um, platform for their, for their foot to rest in. Cause I know for, for me personally, where switching to those flat footed shoes have those five finger shoes, whatever you want to call them are, have, have changed my interaction with not only the earth, but how I move around in my day-to-day life. It's made it a lot easier. That's for sure. 
yeah, and it's like I, I have put quite a few patients onto that path, and I don't typically like. I don't know. I'm, you know, I've, I've never been sponsored by uh, any of those brands either, but, uh, and like, I do love Vivo barefoot shoes. I've had probably about half a dozen pairs at this point. Um, and I, I hate how much I like them mm. because they are one of the more expensive brands. And I don't like, you know, I, I don't think shoes should be that much money, but I totally get like, you know, they're, they're, they're based out of the UK and they, they do a lot of like responsible, responsible, eco-friendly, choices and that kind of stuff. So I get that their products are expensive and they're really good quality products, but I just, I hate how much I like them. Um, but a lot of patients, I would encourage them to find, uh, find a shoe that fits their foot shape. Hmm. So a lot of the times I would be like, uh, in the office, it would be pretty easy. I just grab like a blank sheet of printer paper. I'd have them stand on it. And then I would just take a magic marker and outline their foot as they were weight bearing on there. And I hand it, hand that to them, and I would say, "Go find a shoe that matches this shape." That's a great way, yeah. Because uh, a lot of them are wearing like Nikes or Vans or Converse or Adidas or like those those pretty popular brands that have. They always they all have a specific look to them, and they all have their own shape sure. to it. And very few people fit that shape. Yeah, you know, and they run into a lot of foot issues or a lot of ankle and knee issues. Uh, because of that and i was i was one of those kids growing up in the 90s that like i think skateboard shoes were like all i wore and they were absolutely god awful for my feet and i had um osgood slaughter knee issues throughout school and even as a young adult and that kind of stuff and it wasn't until i started um i started running and when i was in um really when i, when I was in grad school i started running because it was the only form of exercise that i could afford both time-wise and, and uh, financial-wise. Um, and it wasn't really until then that I like started experimenting with different types of shoes. Um, I tried like the Vibram five-fingered, you know, goofy toe, toe shoes. And I ran a couple of half marathons and those things. And those were, those were great. They're not, you know, they're not as socially acceptable as, uh, as some other shoes. So I don't, I don't wear them as much anymore. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the biggest thing. Um, one good, I guess, uh, oh gosh, um, one good analogy I would talk to people and uh, it's funny because people out here, I can't use this analogy out here because uh, it, it doesn't get cold enough. But uh, if you ever grew up someplace where it snows, do you know the difference between uh, gloves and mittens? Mm, for right? Sure. For sure. And so, yeah. uh, and a lot, a lot of people, like, a lot of people on the mainland, they, they definitely did, but our modern day shoes are more like mittens where, like it's just one, you know, it's, it's one big old shape that squeezes all of our toes into there. And it's like, it's good for protecting them. And that's what mittens are. Like they'll protect you from the cold, but it's really hard to do anything when you're wearing mittens. And so if you put, you know, if you put a glove on where you have more individual use of your fingers, even when you go under the cold weather, you can actually get some stuff done. Right. And so that's the analogy I would use with a lot of patients to kind of get them to understand what they were looking for in a in a shoe that's a great analogy man yeah that's gonna help out a lot of people for sure <laughs> mittens versus gloves <laughs> get it together people <laughs> yeah that's no that's cool um Corey, Corey, I, know from... I got a cheap shoe option for you and i will say cheap this shoe. is yeah so this is um i i am an angel investor in zero shoes so like 
I am begging them to make these things, which is a Witten sock shoe. So it is a sock with a rubberized sole. And uh, I think they're about $40. And I agree with the like, I mean, I get I get my zeros for a, a remarkably good price. Um, and, and I will still buy these because one, I mean, it is the the simplicity of uh, full full foot mobility. Uh, there is no shape or form to them. They are legitimately socks where they have sealed the rubber sole on the bottom. And I wear them in, I mean, it hasn't been over 30 here in, I don't know, a long time. And, um, <laughs> and I, I wear them every single day. It is, and I'm on my feet the entirety of the day. So it is, uh, it's, it's a shoe that I have fallen in love with and I hope more people start to make. And the yeah, that, that brand <laughs> is something I, I was turned on to that brand by a, a guy I used to work with back in Arizona who, uh, same thing where like the barefoot shoes I was wearing were, were too steep for him. So he found there's, he's got a couple of their pairs, um, that, that brand. Um, I do have some, I do have some zero shoe sandals, which I, I pretty much, I wear the sandals on days I don't work. And I wear, I have uh, one pair of uh, Vivo barefoot shoes that I'll wear when I, when I do go into the office and treat patients. And that's, that's pretty much it. I just, I just go between those, those two. There's no, there's no that's reason fair. for me to have any other shoes. Yeah, Heck no. yes. <laughs> Heck yes. I have. I have one pair of these Nike, these Jordan ones that I consider my, my like going out shoe. And I put, I, I put those on for a dinner with wifey and I, wifey and I a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, I haven't put them on in months. And I was, these are the most uncomfortable things I've ever <laughs> experienced. They were so tight. My, when I took my, sh my foot off, my shoe off and take my foot off, I took the shoe off at the end of the dinner. When we got home, it was like, my, my foot was literally swollen. And I was like, this is like, no, no wonder people are struggling so much with walking around. It's like, and, and you get to like sort of the age of a, of a senior citizen where, where my dad and my parents are at, they're like, it's, it's gosh, he, he depends so much on the, on, on the, the, the tightness of his shoe. It's, it's almost as if he like, like he's like wobbling back and forth and the, the, he's not being supported Dad, I love you, man. But this is, this is like, he's, <laughs> he's like, just like, it's like a, he's like a, it's like a waddle, like a penguin, you know, almost. And, mm -hmm. and it's, it's, it scares me half to death. Cause as you know, one of the, as you get older, one of the hardest things to do is get back up off the ground, you know? So it's like, but, but that's, that's neither here nor there. I would just, I just had, had a train of thought around that. Speaking of, yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. Like foot, foot strength is uh, something that gets robbed when we wear uh, either shoes that are too tight or shoes that are like too supportive. Like if they take yeah. too many away from us yes right um we don't develop those muscles and we don't ever really get to use those so it's it's really interesting the retailer job i had in my undergrad um was at a shoe store okay. and gotcha. it's really interesting gotcha. to see the to see the like the people that came in there especially the older people like they want the the solid most supportive shoe that you could you know you can give them and uh it's because that they're you know, their structure is just kind of starting to, to wither away to a point where they like they need that support. They need to use it as a crutch in order to stay mobile. Yeah. Yeah, and so if you have, you know, if you have foot mobility and you're uh, it doesn't really matter what age you are, if you have some foot mobility and you don't need to use shoes as a crutch, don't start now. You know? <laughs> That's great advice. Corey, Hope do you, you got a pen advice? and paper out, people. Yeah. Do you have advice? Because so I use the analogy for people when. Um, 
they're told to put an orthopedic in their shoe, right? Which is, all right, so we have some arch, some arch dysfunction, creating, creating some plantar dysfunction. Um, and they'll, they'll go see somebody who specializes in um, orthopedics and they'll get a form of their shoe and then they will get an arch support built in. And I always use the analogy of like, cool, that, that's a great way to alleviate like acute discom discomfort. Um, but if you wanted to build strong legs, would you do that by sitting on the couch all day? Right. And it's the same thing. If you're going to put yourself into a prop shape, you're not going to develop that a musculature there. So do you, my advice was always, you know, do, do as much as you can throughout the day without the arches. And then when you need them, put them in, do you have some advice for people who want to transition from the, the heel drop shoes that they're in or the orthopedics that they're in towards a, a no drop zero drop? What experience? <laughs> um, yeah. So if it's, it depends on the patient, of course, but if it's somebody who's say got, you know, some, they got their, an older age, especially if they had like some pretty gnarly like foot injuries. Um, it really just depends because some of those people I say, yeah, listen to the podiatrist, put the, like put the inserts in, we'll still do like stretches and exercises and try to improve your mobility. But if their if their injury has been so far progressed or they have like you know moderate to severe arthritis in their feet that kind of stuff that's something that uh, we don't we don't want to make that worse by just trying to push them right but if there's somebody like you know they're on the the bottom end of 40 if they don't have any foot issues um, besides just having like weak feet or their feet just like ache or even if they have something like uh, plantar fasciitis or something that's pretty common like that I always tell them to find uh, find a shoe that has less support and less cushion and start, start just, start just doing like mild to moderate exercise in that shoe. Don't wear it all day long, but like when you go to work still wear your regular shoes, but when you go out for like your evening walks or when you go to the gym, like just start exercising in a shoe that has less support in it and use those muscles in your feet. And you'll notice like your feet will be sore after your exercises. Um, and then I would say probably a couple months down the road, you can start using those shoes more on a daily basis. Mm. Um, and you can eventually like integrate them and get rid of the, get rid of the supportive ones altogether. And injury there, there's probably going to have to be, depending on their foot issue, some corrective exercises and stuff like that. Um, I will say this, like I, in being in the health field for the last decade or so, I, there's not very many doctors or very many disciplines that I don't get along with. Like everybody has something to offer, but podiatrists, I don't think I've ever come across a podiatrist that I've ever agreed with. <laughs> and, and I don't, and I don't, I don't know what it is. I think there's the modern philosophy of the podiatry is just, uh, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's good for, like I said, the older patients that have some pretty complicated foot issues, but like I've had, patients show up in my office that have had you know ankle issues since they were a teenager they're in their mid-20s and like all they want to do is put them in a in this splint essentially that they call an orthotic and ship them out the door and it's like okay well that's great for getting rid of their pain in the short term but this patient's in their mid-20s like they still have 50 plus years to be on their feet like what are you going to do for the rest of that time you're not just going to wear orthotics for 50 years like that's yeah. not that's not really that sustainable. So um, I, I think a lot of people maybe don't realize that um, disciplines like chiropractic can help with foot issues. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and most, most chiropractors nowadays will work on uh, like lower extremity stuff. Um, and I would encourage patients to, if they're having an issue, especially like plantar fasciitis or old, like recurrent ankle sprains and that kind of stuff to go find a, go find a chiropractor and work with them and get their, get their foot strength up to par. Cause it's no fun living with foot issues. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. The ultimate, the ultimate it's, upstream problem, or it can be the ultimate upstream problem. If it, if you have foot troubles, everything else is going to start to mold around that dysfunction and become dysfunctional yeah. itself. It's a, it's a pretty, it's a pretty root problem if, if you develop one and don't take care of it. So pretty good to know there are chiropractic options probably within 15 minutes of you, wherever you are. So, uh, reach out. <laughs> <laughs> So, so here's a question. I want to switch gears for a second. Just, just for just not, not, yeah. So follow my train of thought. I invite you to follow my train of thought. So, so we, so we've been talking about a lot about, um, a lot of dysfunction, right? Dysfunction in the feet, dysfunction in the, uh, in the upper thoracic with the rounding, the flexion. Um, so, and a lot of, a lot of things that, that, that you see constantly showing up. I'd like you to, to, to take us through, um, maybe a, a case, obviously leave, leave the name anonymous, but, but something, someone you, you worked with in the past, um, who you, who you saw maybe a, a 180 degree turnaround or, or, or could I even call it a miracle? Um, so, some, something, something along the lines where you see someone, um, make that transformation that, that has really stood out to you. Um, oh gosh, there's, there's been a, there's been a couple of cases. Um, the, I guess one of the, one of the ones, especially for like foot issues and foot dysfunctions, uh, specifically was, uh, Oh man, she was a, a, or I guess she is, she is a sibling of, uh, one of the employees that I used to work with back in Arizona and she, for, oh gosh, she was in her mid twenties and for probably close to 10 years or so, she had, uh, issues with her feet. And to the point where like, she wore like, she wore things like Crocs because they were like, they were loose fitting. They were soft and squishy. She's had, she's seen a bunch of different podiatrists. She's had, um, she had a couple or I think she had like one or, I know she at least had one minor surgery on her foot. Um, and things that kind of, kind of helped a little bit, but didn't quite solve things. She was going to school to be a nurse. And so she was pretty entrenched in that kind of Western medicine, like, you know, if you have foot problems, you go see a podiatrist. If you have back problems, you go see an orthopedist, that kind of thing. And uh, her sister convinced her to come in and see me. And we worked a lot with her, um, with her foot, getting everything to be like strong and stable to the point where like she can now be a nurse and work all day long without having like debilitating foot pain. And they wanted her to go in and do another, another surgery on that, which was a little crazy in my opinion, like the first surgery didn't quite work and the physical therapy that they had her doing didn't quite cut it either. Mm-hmm. And so, um, that, that's a, that was a pretty good success case, especially for somebody that young to have issues for that long drives me crazy. And that's something that I'm seeing more and more, um, in like the 21 to 26 year old range of people that have had 
you know, they've, they've been hurting for like a decade and either doctors don't take them seriously because they're, you know, when they're a teenager, because they're just young and it's like, all right, whatever, you'll be fine. Um, or their parents don't take them seriously, or I, I don't know what it is, but like it, they get to a point where eventually they've, they came into my office to where it's like, all right, you like 25 year olds don't want to go to the doctor. <laughs> right. So if they came into my office, they obviously are dealing with something. And the, the phrase that like, that started to like break my heart a little bit is you get these, these young people that would come in and like, I would diagnose them with something. We'd start working on them and they like a common phrase that they would say, they're like, okay, so I'm not just crazy. Like there is something going on. And I'm like, well, yeah, of course you're not just crazy. Like, <laughs> you, like, I don't like if that's something you told yourself or is that something somebody else has told you is that like, right. like, Hey, you know, you're fine. You're, you're young, you're healthy. There's nothing on your blood work. There's nothing on your MRI. Like, you know, Western medicine has no, has no solution for you. So it must be, like it must be psychosomatic. It must be all up here type of thing. And, I, and like, to me, that's just, that's just pure insanity. Like I just, it breaks my heart a little bit to hear it when people say that of like, Oh, there actually is something going on. And I'm like, yeah, that's why your body's giving you pain. Like, cause there's something going on. Like you're, you're believing these outside sources over what your body's telling you. And to me, that's just insanity. Yeah. For sure. An experience too very deeply. So I, I definitely yeah. 100% uh, appreciate that acknowledgement because it is really hard um, when you look healthy to be in a doctor's mm-hmm. office and have them not take you. I, and I, I will tell you in my experience, it was definitely just looked healthy. So doctors didn't take the experience seriously. Uh, if you couldn't find it in two blood work tests, it's a psychosomatic problem. Good luck. Find it, find an answer elsewhere. Yeah. It, it blows my mind. Yeah. And I think I, I've seen it unfortunately more with young women than I have with young men. Interesting. And I don't, I, I, I don't know why, like, I think it's just something that's uh, like I said, it's, it's heartbreaking and it's a little, uh, uh, it's, it's just very difficult when our society only looks at um, like empirical values to determine health rather than kind of listening to the patient and what's going on with them. We need more. We need more people out there like you, man, do, doing the work. That's um, true. That that that's for darn sure. Because it's it was again my experience working with you was it was it was not just the the physical structure of the body that you were working with too. You were working with my mental, my mental game, and my my emotional game. It was all sort of wrapped into the visits there, um, which I, which I thoroughly appreciated, man. And it's um, it's nice to hear that those that those that those messages are still getting are still getting across to to, to at least some people for sure. For sure. I, I do my best. People are, people are a lot more complex than just, uh, you know, just having pain. Right. And stress yeah. is, uh, the different types of stress that we can go under are, are pretty, um, uh, can be pretty, uh, all encompassing. They can be pretty, uh, traumatic. So okay. it's, uh, it's healing is a big process. <laughs> yes, it is for sure. <laughs> Brian, I know um, I hate to wrap this short, but I know you're a little short on time today. So um, any final thoughts on your end? Yeah, I got, I got one, I got one more question. I'm always, I'm always the last question out, I guess, (laughs) as we do these, but um, 
So, so like, so, so fear, right. That's been coming up on a lot of our recent casts. Um, and I think fear is, is a, is a general word that, that people, um, either sort of lean into or, or, or stray away from. Right. So, um, so, so fear for you, for you, Corey, personally, has it, has it harmed you more than helped you or has it, or has fear helped more than harmed you? And then maybe an example of, of, of how, of how, how fear shows up in your life. I don't know. Like fear can definitely be a useful motivator um, when you know in certain certain avenues of my life it can definitely be. Um, but I think overall, if if fear is coming from more of a place of like self doubt, is definitely more harmful mm. than helpful. Mm. Um, and I think our our society is very very. Um, I guess the, the messages that are sent out are very, very quick to use that kind of angle of fear to try to motivate people to, to do something or, you know, go somewhere or buy something or whatever, whatever it may be type of thing. And I never, I never want people, like I, I've never encouraged people to make decisions solely based off of like being afraid of whatever the outcome is going to be, you know, whether that's, like you're deciding what profession you want to go in into your life type of thing. And you're afraid of what that might look like. Like don't make that decision just based off of fear. Or if you're going into a doctor and the doctor is trying to like the doctor's only telling you like all the bad things and they're trying to scare you into whatever treatment they want you to do. Like that's also not a, a good reason to make those decisions. Mm. Right. So that's something that, uh, Something that I've that I've um, uh, something that I've uh, encountered multiple times, um, also in like the the chiropractic profession. I've worked with doctors and observed doctors who like use that fear angle on their patients, unfortunately, and it just it I don't know it doesn't sit so it doesn't sit well with me. Like, of course, they're problem serious, and of course, like we don't, I don't, you don't want to like portray it to them in such a lighthearted way that uh, they don't take it seriously. But at the same time, like, you know, we're not, we don't need to scare people about their, their health. Um, it needs to be more of a, an angle of, I guess, uh, hope and, mm. and uh, exploration than anything. Cause that. that, you know, that's, that's where people truly feel that. Um, but yeah, I think, I don't know in the last, I say the last three years of my life, fear has definitely been more uh, hurtful than helpful. And prior to that, like when I was in school, fear was definitely more helpful. Like, you know, the fear of failing a class or the, the fear of like not making it through the grad school program or whatever it is um, was, you know, it was, a, it was a big motivator that definitely helped kind of push me through. Uh, but once I got out into the real world and once I was dealing with every, you know, patients problems and, raising a family and all that other stuff it uh, fear is definitely not something I want to be motivated by. This is a great answer. And, and I just wanted to reflect, reflect um, healing is, is a journey of hope and, and, and exploration. That is, that's rad, man. That, that really resonates with me. Appreciate those words. Yeah. Yeah. Appreciate, appreciate you sharing all of this, Corey. This has been uh, a, a really pleasant and, and insightful conversation, which is rad. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you. Man. Yeah, for yep. sure. 
Um, next, next time I'm, I'm on the Big Island, I'm getting adjusted by you, my friend. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, gonna go for it. Look, look me up. I'm uh, I'm not on the Big Island. I'm on Oahu. That's right, Oahu. My bad. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah, look, look me up. Um, uh, the uh, at least now I think the website's still up. My my wife started a a um, social media page, I guess, called the Bearded Chiropractor. That was back yes. when I was on, the, on the mainland, and I had a a big bushy crazy beard <laughs> i couldn't keep that out because the humidity is too high it just I like bet. yeah I went crazy. <laughs> I, I bet. <laughs> uh, but uh the the bearded chiropractor.com is still up there and it has the, the information on where i'm currently practicing cool in a walk. Yeah. so Heck yeah rad come on, we'll, we'll go to the beach yes for sure we will <laughs> yes <laughs> heck yeah yeah thanks Corey. Corey. Thank, thank you so so much you're welcome. Thank you for having me. Of course. We'll let you know when the episode drops. Um, maybe the bearded chiropractor can blast, blast down on your socials for us too. That'd be rad. Yeah, sure. I'm sure my wife would love to do that. She yeah. always she wants me to do things like this. And, yes. <laughs> uh, like, I'm terrible with the, the social networking thing. <laughs> it's all good. You're great at what you do, man. We need more people like you. Appreciate you, Corey, so for much, sure. brother. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks, Brian. Thank you.